You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, episode 7, Nevermind, side A. Welcome to yet another episode of the Nirvana podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiritje. And what we do here is we take a deep dive in the history and the music of the grunge rock band Nirvana. Yes, we definitely do. And we've made it to the big one. Yes, never mind. <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about never mind uh, today. I've got it, uh, a copy of it in my hand right here with the uh, iconic cover of the, the baby swimming yes. towards a uh, dollar bill. And... Uh, I think everybody knows uh, the whole story already about how he was supposed to be covered up, but then eventually he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, well, was he supposed to be covered up? No, but I know that I think somebody at the record company said, well, we might need to yeah. do it. And then eventually they they didn't do it. And then I think there were some record companies, uh, record stores who didn't want to show it in their store. But on the whole, that didn't really make an impact on sales anyway. And I think there's yeah. also some images of record stores who just like put something in front yeah, of it. like a post-it or something. Yeah, exactly. I, I've seen a version of the picture where his penis was like, Brushed, uh, brushed <laughs> off, like airbrushed off. Right. I don't think they had Photoshop just yet. No, <laughs> it was like a, a yeah, Some, something a, a else. Ver, a version yeah. uh, uh, where we lost his uh, his penis. <laughs> also, uh, Kurt wanted to provide a sticker that says something like, "If you're oh, offended yeah. by this, you're probably a pedophile." <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, fun fact: Now that we're uh, talking about the baby on the cover, um, his name is uh, Spencer Eldon, and in two thousand and seventeen. He uh, made a, a, re- a remake of this, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. of this picture. Uh, of course, he was uh, 25 uh, by that time, wearing shorts. Yep. He was uh, willing to do it without <laughs> the shorts, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's safe to say he's got like the most viewed penises. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. I think okay. so. <laughs> Enough about babies and penises. I think everybody knows uh, what the record is uh, that we're uh, talking about uh, today. Yeah. It, w- it was, of course a very big event for the band and it had a major, major impact on the music industry and on popular culture of the time. Yes. I think it's always really fun to realize that when they were uh, recording this, they had no idea. No, not at all. I mean, they knew that they had a new record contract, like they signed on a bigger label, so they had expectations. And Kurt joked about we're gonna sell out and whatever, yeah. um, but they never expected this to happen. I, nobody did, not even the, the the record company themselves. No, no. no. And, and just to put things in perspective, well, if you want to know like the whole Nirvana story, you can always uh, go back uh, to our uh, previous podcast, yes, in which we tell the whole story uh, up till this point. Yep, uh, up to this point. But I think it's good to realize that when they uh, drove to the studios. In uh, April of uh, 1991, because their sessions were uh, during May of 1991, uh, they were pretty poor. Yep. Dave Grohl always tells the story about how he and Kurt had to um, <laughs> drive to the studios with a with a really battered old car that Kurt 
Oh, right, yeah. Apparently got from an old lady in the neighborhood, <laughs> but then the car broke, broke down, down yeah. and then the, the engine got overheated, so they had to stop every 10 minutes, and yep. then they threw rocks at the car <laughs> because they were so angry, but they still had to drive. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, so that was their status at that moment. Yep. I think they were like a respected underground band. Yep, definitely, but not more than that. No. 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 And they were... Uh, yeah, they were going into the studio to record their first uh, album for a major record company. Yeah. Well, we talked about this last time as well, but they were writing more pop-orientated songs, I think. A bit less grunge, grungy noise, yeah. slow rocking stuff that you'll find on the, on the Bleach album. Yeah, and then an album came out of it that I think the world never expected. <laughs> and never, <laughs> nobody saw it coming, like you said, so that's pretty pretty cool. Oh, maybe we should uh, inform our listeners uh, who don't know this um, that uh, Mr. Butch Fick was a producer of the yes. album. Yes, he was. And he had already worked with the band uh, a couple of months before that when they were uh, recording some of these songs for what they thought was going to be their uh, second album on the Sub Pop label. Yep. They already recorded uh, a couple of songs, uh, worked with Butch Fig, but that didn't amount to anything else than getting a new record label, basically, <laughs> yeah. because they used some of the demos. Um, and in between, they switched drummers. When they started, uh, let's say, the proper recording session, they knew the producer, they knew some of the songs, but it felt quite new yeah. because it was... With a different drummer and also I think they had more of an idea which way to go with the songs and with the entire album. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And they, for the first time they were in like a, a big studio yes. in LA, Sound City Studios. Yep. If you want to know more about the studio they were in, <laughs> go and check out the Sound City uh, documentary yep. that Dave Grohl made about it. Yeah, that's really it was good. Pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. Maybe it's also good to note that uh, it was for their producer. It was his first uh, gig for a corporate, big corporate record label yeah. as well. Yeah, he yeah. had uh, he had uh, quite some experience already, but this was for his standards pretty big, and it turned out great because he had an awesome career after that. Still has, so yeah. uh, this paid off for him as well. So uh, let's uh, hit it off with a bit of first track. It's a pretty uh, obscure song. Yep. I don't think a lot of people. Uh, Know it, but uh, it's uh, called Smells Like Teen Spirit. say about this one it's like <laughs> such a well-known big yep. classic rock song by now yep where to begin <laughs> i have no idea um yeah 
Um, yeah, I know where to begin. I'll, I'll, um, I'll begin with, um, stating that I think that this song has one of the best lines ever written in pop music, which mm-hmm. is... Lines as in lyrics? Lyric lines. I find it hard, it's hard to find, oh, well, whatever, never mind, which is also obviously the title of the album. To me, the the whole song, but also the whole attitude of Nirvana and the whole attitude of, of people listening to it is sort of summed up in that part because it's so weird. Um, <laughs> obviously, I mean, we've talked about this often, like Kurt would just pick lines and words and put them together. And sometimes it's, it's, it's a real story. Sometimes it's just little parts of, of thoughts and phrases. But what has always stood out for me for that specific lyric back in the days when I heard it for the first time and, and now still is that it's, it sounds like something you'd say, like, for instance, in an interview, I definitely see Kurt being interviewed for like the 20th time in a row Hmm. and trying to express his feelings and then thinking like whatever to me it's like he says like i find it hard like and he doesn't finish the line and then thinks it's like okay so i mean it's hard to find in my mind he says like the the right words Mm -hmm. brackets like i find it hard okay it's hard and okay, so I don't know how to rephrase it, so well, whatever, never mind. Yeah. Um, which is sort of taps into that whole feeling of young people trying f- to find their way and, and not finding the right words. It's easily one of the best lyrics ever written. Wow. So, um, and yeah. they must have liked it themselves, uh, because like you said, they, they named the, uh, the record exactly. after it. Uh, it's not named Sheep, <laughs> no, which working was, title for yeah. it uh, at, at one point. Yeah, and it's, it's also cool that you uh, mentioned the, the lyrical content. Because back in the days when this uh, single came out and it took over the world, everybody was like guessing what the <laughs> lyrics were yep. because uh, there wasn't a lyric sheet with the single, there wasn't nope. a lyric sheet in the... Uh, uh, coming with the album. No, just um, a couple of phrases from different lyrics, but not the entire... Yeah. And then um, people thought he was really hard to... <laughs> <laughs> he was, he's mumbling his way he, through. He's mumbling and screaming. And, uh, um, yep. Yeah, uh, I almost uh, quoted a uh, weird El Yankovic there. <laughs> yep. And it uh, smells like a Nirvana uh-huh. parody, in yep. which he actually sings, Now I'm mumbling and I'm screaming, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, so everyone was, was like guessing to what yep. is the message and what is he trying to say, because yep. obviously it appeal to a lot of young people yeah but then i think mostly the uh, older people wanted to know their <laughs> exactly <laughs> what are they trying to express here and the weird thing about it is that i think this is this is one of those songs where sort of everything magically fits together because like some of the lyrics you can make out on the first time some you don't the things that the words that you hear are set, they trigger some kind of feeling, even if you don't get all of it. It has a title that um, doesn't 
relate exactly to the lyrics, at least at first. Um, I mean, there's that whole. It, it doesn't come back in the in the exactly, and, like and and there's that whole anecdote that that it came from the deodorant. The deodorant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just quick interlude. Yeah. Um, if you already know the story, because it's pretty well known, you can uh, uh, skip ahead in the podcast. <laughs> but for those who don't know, yep. um, a Teen Spirit is a, a deodorant. I yep. think for young girls. Probably, yeah. Probably for young girls. Kurt wasn't aware um, of that because he never used deodorant no. at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one night he was uh, hanging out uh, with uh, Kathleen Hanna, mm-hmm. uh, who was a friend of his, yep. who was also a friend of his, of his girlfriend mm-hmm. at the time, yep. slash ex-girlfriend at the time, yep. Toby Vale, who apparently used Teen Spirit deodorant. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And they had a discussion about... Teen rebellion and uprising and stuff like that. And then Kathleen wrote on the wall, Kurt smells like teen spirit later that night. She meant that he smelled like Toby Vale. <laughs> yep. But Kurt took it as like a compliment. Wow, yep. I smell like the <laughs> teen spirit. And he liked the phrase. And Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, later he found out. <laughs> <laughs> that it was actually. Yeah. Deodorant. And I think the company that uh, <laughs> sold teen spirit deodorant made a lot of money. Uh, uh, yeah. Of <laughs> but, but, but you're but, right. The, the title itself doesn't come back in the lyrics. No, no. But the weird thing is that even though it doesn't come back in the lyrics, um, you, you feel some kind of connection. And then, of course, and this is something we'll talk about probably later on when we pick up like the whole journey of the band and what happened when this was released. But the uh, music video also taps into that teen spirit rebellion yeah. thing. So it all sort of fits together. The sound fits with that. Apparently, when they first tried this song, they were still looking for the right way to play it. And then the producer was like, no, this is, this is really good. And there was some discussion yeah. like, is this going to be the first uh, single or not? It feels like everything in this song sort of clicks into place. Yeah. Um, and it's all about like the teen spirit yeah. in a way. Um, there's yeah. an early draft of the lyrics, uh, which had a line, uh, who will be the king and queen yep. of uh, uh, outcast oh, teens, yep, I think yep. it was, uh, which um, well, uh, Kurt didn't use, no. but it says something about uh, yeah what his overall feeling with the song was. Exactly. Maybe he thought it was a bit too obvious if you would uh, yep. put that in, I don't know. Also, um, we can listen to an early uh, version of it. Oh, yeah, nice. Uh, uh, from their uh, Boombox rehearsals. Um, it's been... Uh, Later released uh, for the deluxe edition of uh, of Nevermind. It's when they were practicing um, mostly their uh, new songs, so uh, the producer could could listen to it and they themselves could could listen to it. Uh, and this was one of the songs on that tape, and it was written quite short before they started uh, recording yeah. the album. I think it was the last one or one of the last ones. That yeah, were, could be. Were written. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, in, in an early version, it sounded uh, like this with some different uh, lyrics and a different uh, vocal melody.
I think it's funny that Eric used to say that his lyrics didn't mean that much and he just uh, last minute threw, threw some words together, yeah. but then actually he changed the lyrics. So yeah. he did care about <laughs> them because otherwise yeah. he would just stick with the v- very first version uh, yeah. of it. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and, and also I think that it's, it's something we talked about before and I think we'll mention it this episode often as well. The, the fact that he, does really know how to build lyrics, um, how to make them fit with uh, the music, because sometimes you hear, hear in earlier versions that he doesn't have the right words yet, but he knows where to put those those lines into the music and also his use of specific rhyme and specific words um, that stand out shows that he was probably more into lyrics than than he was um, <laughs> willing to, uh, and to it, admit. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't always have to be, let's say, a coherent story. I mean, uh, somebody like David Bowie would would experiment with um, like cutting up techniques. He'd have like little pieces of paper with words on them, and just sort of flick them together, and then decide yeah. like, oh, these words together sound great so i'll use those there were more artists who work like that um and i think that kurt had some of those techniques as well in his mind yeah. uh, but he just sort of downplayed them yeah yeah i, I think you're right there we can focus a bit more on the on the music before we move on mm-hmm. i always have the feeling that what makes smells like teen spirit such a powerful song is that it's it's kept so simple and to the point. Yep. I found uh, on the internet some um, separated tracks from the different uh, instruments. Nice. I think it comes from one of those rock star guitar hero games. Yeah, I think. Could be. But I'm not sure. I just came across it online, and uh, it's, uh, it's good to to use it uh, yeah. to hear some uh, special yeah. things. Uh, because one thing that's really uh, I think yeah remarkable is that for the solo he basically uh, just copied the yep. uh, vocal melody, so it's it's more um, powerful and more in your head even yep. than to come up with a different melody. So that just sounds uh, like this. the bass so then you hear the bass playing just the same thing over and over and over again This is a cool part as well, just those two notes. Yeah. Something about the end. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
there you go. <laughs> yeah, because I think that that end is also something that makes this song incredibly special. Not that it's something that you don't hear in other songs. I mean, there's more songs that, that end like that with like sort of a fade out and, and, and like the, the last lingering note. But in this case, it, um, I think it gives it, the song a sort of, um, an, an, an atmosphere that really contributes to the whole feeling of the song. Because normally you'd expect songs like this to just end with a bang. Yeah. And instead of ending with a bang, it just, it sort of opens up and floats away. And it leaves you with a sort of an eerie feeling. Like, okay, what yeah. was, what was just happening? Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> like that. And to me, that really contributes to the feeling of this song. Yeah, and I think it, uh, that has a lot to do with his uh, vocal performance. Yep. I mean, it keeps building in intensity. And, yep. Uh, just, just listen to this. That's so cool. Yeah. Also, when you just listen to the vocals, you can really clearly hear that um, it's it's a double double track. Yep. He did two vocal takes, and yep. then they were combined. Yeah, which uh, he didn't like to do. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> but Vic had his uh, ways of, of, of making him do it. Uh, but we will get to that uh, in yeah. minutes for another uh, on another song. Um, I so I just want to mention one more thing about this song, and that's just I mean. This was the debut of, of Dave Grohl in the band, this, this whole album. And I, this song is like, from the first moment he starts playing, it's like, okay, I get why they were happy with him. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Yeah. It's his, his drumming is, is perfect for this band. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, again, the, the drumming, uh, the drumming pattern, the drum parts, they also, Pretty much um, mimic the, the the same riff. Yep. So if you were, would listen to just the drums, uh, let's see if I can do that. Then I think you can uh, uh, hear the entire song for just the drum part. Okay, I think that, that's enough said about uh, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, well, we, we could make an entire podcast episode yep. just about this one. Uh, it also lined up, but we're gonna, not going to listen to it, the, the cover version that uh, Tori Amos did, yep. the, the, the piano version. Yep. Uh, there, there's a ton of cover versions, people who sampled the guitar riff. Uh, we haven't even touched on the fact that um, the guitar riff... Uh, is kind of the same as in Boston's More Than a Feeling. Yep, which I always hate. And thank you for mentioning that because I, I find that a really annoying song and now it's stuck in my head again. Thank so you. We'll move on to, <laughs> to another track, uh, track two of the album, uh, and it's called In Bloom.
another very powerful song. Yes. Uh, it was uh, eventually released as a single. Yep. And uh, rightfully so, I think, because it's really, really good and melodic. And yep. It's got such a cool uh, structure. Yep. I mean, it's like a, there's like a, a part in it. I don't even know if there's a word for that. It's like a, it's like a, like an instrumental pre-chorus. I don't know. You know, just a yeah. I think that that sounds like a <laughs> nice way to put it. Yeah. 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 I I, I don't know. No. I, I don't know many songs that have that. No. Trick in it. No. No. You're totally right, and I think. There's this famous story about this song that it had like a bridge, a bridge yeah. which was cut out uh, by Butchvig because he thought it wasn't working for the song. And nobody has ever. Heard nobody the has it. No. So it's, I have no idea how it sounds. I have no idea how it could have worked, and especially because what you're saying about that that instrumental pre whatever. Um, I can see why this song wouldn't work. With a bridge, yeah, I I, I can imagine it would, that it would have, would be one part too much. Exactly, I mean, yeah. The whole album is pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's about simple songs. Yep, that are really powerful. Yeah, and if you make it too complex, maybe it wouldn't work. Yeah, and also um, if it is in fact true, then it's not a good choice of of a Butch Vig. Yep. Who, just going back to uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit one more time. <laughs> I think uh, Butch Vig, the producer, is the one who decided to do the. The interlude part, you know, the yep. hey, yep. Um, uh, on more than one um, moment in the song. Yeah, yeah. Because in, in the uh, in an early version of it, um, they use it just once, I think, yep. towards the end, and he said, exactly. oh, "You have to do it, uh, do it again." Uh, and yeah. yeah. How, how about if you yeah. repeat that a couple of times? Yeah. And I think it really adds uh, something to the song. Right. Um, back to in bloom. I can imagine that you're a bit unhappy. Uh, with me cutting it off at the moment <laughs> I did, because yes. I know you're a big fan of harmonies. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but I've got something uh, special lined up for you. Yay! Uh, it's uh, um, Butch Fig, the producer, like we said, showing us and telling us and uh, letting us hear how the harmonies were actually built and, and recorded. Heck, uh, he did cool. so for the excellent documentary uh, Classic Albums mm -hmm. on, the, on the Nevermind. So uh, let's uh, have a listen to uh, the man himself. Their voices sound pretty cool together. Very similar tonal quality. Knows not what it means. Knows not what it means. And I say. And I thought it might sound better if I doubled it because it's going to just make it fuller and a little bit richer. So we went back and. Kurt did a double track, and again, he didn't like doing double tracks, so I had to use the John Lennon reference, and every, every time he resisted, I said, John Lennon did it, he'd go, okay. So that's Kurt doubled, and he had Dave there. Of course, that sounded good, but then we thought, well, if we get to double Kurt, we might as well double Dave, too, so then we went in. That sounds great. It becomes a magnificent chorus.
did that make it up for, 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 for you? Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, and it, it, it really adds something to the to the song, uh, I, I think. Just one more quick um, uh, other thing, um, because uh, for the earlier take of In Bloom, they didn't do the whole harmony part, mm-hmm. and it sounds a bit more rough, mm-hmm. but also, yeah, it's less enjoyable, <laughs> I think. It really adds something. So uh, let's uh, just uh, listen to just a snippet of the uh, Smart Sessions. Yep. It still works, sure. But uh, especially if once you listen to the the final version, uh, you get the feeling that something's (laughs) missing. Something's missing, definitely. And I think that it's interesting what what Butchvik said that that like Kurt and Dave's voices sound really great together. Yeah. Um, uh, which is true because they have sort of the same quality. It's a different voice, but it's it has the same feel to it. And I think that especially. Um, also in this song, it works to have that extra voice in there also because of, uh, the lyrics and, and what's, what the song's about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that really adds to it. If it's, if because it's about. Because it makes you want to s- sing along. Exactly. I, if you have more, uh, like more harmonies, uh, fills up the whole sound. Uh, as far as the voice parts concerned, and it makes it, it, it well, it, the word harmony says it all. I mean, mm. it, it gives you more harmony, and it makes you want to, well, sing along more. Yeah, than, and that's yeah. the clever part of it because exactly. you're singing about somebody who wants to sing along but doesn't yeah. know what the song is about, what it means, <laughs> which is basically what we're all feeling <laughs> with yeah. hearing a Nirvana song for the first time. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's so remarkable that he wrote this when they weren't a big successful yep. band yet. Exactly. I mean, this would have made so more, so much more sense if they were already a successful band. Exactly. And then he, he would have yep. a jab at all the people who were, you know, jumping on the bandwagon and yep. trying to, you know, cling on to the popular band yep. of the moment. But they weren't that popular at the moment. But no. he still had a feeling that there were people singing along with the songs but they didn't really get it. Something exactly. Like that. I think they, they, I mean, he, he probably already experienced that because they were becoming more and more popular and in their own little in, scene. Yeah. But still, um, and obviously it's something that he could have noticed with other bands as well, because, uh, like we mentioned before, they spend a lot of time with other bands and seeing how, how they would be on tour and, and how their fans would be. So it makes sense that he had some kind of sense about how fans behave and, and probably also had his own ideas about who his perfect fans would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's right. Yeah. Um, also a good thing I think to, uh, to stress is that, uh, on the version you just heard, uh, the, the smart uh, sessions, uh, it was their old drummer, Chad Channing, uh, playing yeah. on it. He wrote the drum parts. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dave Grohl later uh, uh, also said himself that he just copied that. Yeah. He didn't well, hardly change anything no. uh, uh, about it. But um, Chad never really got credit for it. No. So so basically, the 
the big addition of Dave in this case was as a vocalist, which yep. is pretty funny. <laughs> and, and, and which he apparently found really hard to do. Yeah. Even though when you hear it like that, like isolated, it sounds perfect, but he found it quite hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I can imagine. I mean, I, he, he wrote songs and he, he was singing already, but doing a harmony, if you have no experience with that, it can be really hard. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and he was, he was under pressure, I think. I mean, he, yeah. He was new with the band. He was for the first time in a in a big studio recording yep. for a, for a major record label. I always get the sense if you're um, li- uh, watching interviews about it um, that he is really easygoing and relaxed yep. and, and professional as well. That you know, if if he didn't get the right note, he would just <laughs> yep. laugh it off, smoke a cigarette, exactly. get back in, and then try yeah, it again try it and again. again and again until it was good. <laughs> yep. Which um, wasn't the way uh, Kurt worked, no. because there are uh, a couple of uh, accounts that uh, Kurt didn't like to do a lot of uh, takes on his on his no. uh, uh, vocals. He didn't like if the other guys were listening to it. No. He didn't like using uh, uh, headphones. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, and, and sometimes he would just quit or turn silent or walk off or yep. And um, he was a bit. Tougher to work with, I think. Yeah. And maybe, um, yeah, that would more or less foreshadow um, his uh, growing mental problems later on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he probably felt the same pressure as well. Like Butchvik said in that that snippet of interview that you heard, like he had <laughs> he had his ways of of doing that, and I can imagine that often. Um, a producer will need like good people skills, but in this case, like trying to find out how you can make a certain band member do the things that you think are necessary, uh, especially for um, your first gig for a big label, uh, must have been stressful, but also interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think uh, I've read that for In Bloom, um, uh, Butch Vig actually um, patched together several vocal takes. You right. Know? Cutting and pasting the best parts of several right. takes together yeah. to, to get one um, that that's really really excellent. Yeah. Uh, I think. Well, we we touched on it uh, just a little bit. Anything you want to say about the lyrical content of this song? No, not especially. I mean, it's. I think that it's. It, we said it's. It's clear what it's about, and it's. I mean, this is this is one of those songs that also showed. Uh, the the, the the fun side of Nirvana that I think people often forget. Yeah. Um it's not just doom and gloom and screaming and suicides and stuff like that. Also <laughs> reproductive glands. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, but this is this is a this this has a fun side to it and um and and the cleverness that oh. that is in the lyrics that having that very singable lyric about people who like to sing along is yeah. like i mean there's and then, then he knows not what it means and then in the uh, uh, verses really critical <laughs> weird lyrics exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um okay i i do want to mention one last thing about this song um which is not about the lyrics but about the bass um because that's something that i really enjoy in this one mm. is like in most uh, Nirvana songs, uh, the bass has a really distinctive uh, melody sound. But here it it's um, the way he slides to that final note of his riff 
is is really special because he's like brushing against the right note and that gives it a real weird feeling um so instead of just playing the note he needs to needs to play he just slides toward it and it it feels slightly off that makes this song less straightforward i think it makes it more uh give it a bit of an edge exactly yeah. it sort of feels like it's something's happening here but i i don't really know what and that also ties in with the lyrics i guess so like that right next one yep <laughs> Confession. Yep. This isn't one of my favorites. Think... I have exactly the same. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> because I, uh, it's a very well-known song. It's yep. a very popular song. I mean, it's it's a good song. It's um, it's their I, second I, I... biggest biggest hit. Yeah. The only the only other song that made it to number one in the U.S. apart from um, "Smells Like Team Spirit." So. Yeah, and and uh, even today, it's their uh, second. Uh, um, most favorite um, song on Spotify. Yep. So uh, yeah, and it's a good song. It's a well-known song. Yeah. It's, I, I don't think it would make my Nirvana top 10. I've never uh, <laughs> grew up a Nirvana top 10, but I don't think this would this one I, would make I, it. It's, 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 I, I really enjoy you saying that because I have oh. exactly the same well, feeling. <laughs> I, I'm kind of hoping you would argue with me no, and then tell me why, why I'm totally no, wrong there. No, I have, I mean, the whole thing with this song is like, when it starts, it's like, oh yeah, nice, nice. And then after like a minute, it's like, oh yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm sort of done with it, which I don't know exactly why, because it's, I mean, it's not more repetitive than other songs, I think, but I just, it's, it's not the sort of tempo I like for a song. I think that's part of it. Probably. I think the, the memory uh, mm -hmm. line, I, it doesn't really work for me as a hook. No. And it's meant to be a hook, I think. Yeah. But then again, um, the, the rest of the world uh, <laughs> kind of disagrees with yep. us because it's such a popular song. Yep. Quite recently, it was even used by Marvel, I think, yep. on the Defenders series yep. Yep, true. for Netflix. So. Yeah, um, it's, 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 a, it's a classic song, but it's not and, my and favorite. Actually, um, I know that the record company also thought this would be the hit because this is the, the, the second song that they released as a single. And yeah. I know there was some debate on whether they should do it. That's another discussion that we will get to. <laughs> but first to finish up this, um, like there's, there's this general idea when you, well, it's, I, it's not happening anymore because we don't have 
albums like this, but there used to be this general idea if you release a new album um, that like the first single you release is um, has hit potential, but it isn't like the big hit. Yeah. Um, it's the one that's uh, like m- closest to to what the band is, but yeah. not particularly the biggest radio potential. And then when that becomes a minor hit, you follow it up with the second single, which yeah. is the big one. So they had this idea that that this song would be the big one and more radio friendly. So they started out with Smells Like Teen Spirit, which is more guitar-like and more like the previous work. And so they thought like, okay, then we'll, we'll crush them with this one. And then, well, Smells Like Teen Spirit happened. Yeah, <laughs> it happened. But yeah. just to illustrate that, that we're both wrong, basically, because even yeah. the <laughs> record company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it works as a, as a song. And yeah. It's, it, it's good and it's uh, really good as a third song on the album. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think the whole sequencing of the album is, is, is excellent. Yep. Although they did put their strongest songs and the big singles all mm. up, up, up mm. front, yeah. But um, so I, I like it as an album track. But yeah, like I said, it's not like from to me, it's not like the big Nirvana song that I would listen to over and over no. again. No, and it's it's, it's also not the one that I would recommend to people who are not into Nirvana to start to listening to. Them, yeah, but, it, no. but maybe I should because yeah. <laughs> the rest of the world does. Yeah. Also, the lyrics, I, I get that back in the days that it was probably adding to the controversy and the confusion about what is he trying to say yep. with all those contradictions. Yeah. Uh, take your time, hurry up. To me, that's just a bit too, too easy, maybe. Yep. Too straightforward to just contradict yourself. Yeah. <laughs> basically every line yeah. yeah I think that the the whole the come as you are which in this case is um, a title which is the first line no. <laughs> which is quite uh, uh, rare for Nirvana to have um, but that does add to this song I think I think um, the the whole idea of of I mean we talked about the team spirit and then following it up with the come as you are idea. Um, I think that tapped into a lot of feelings for people. So I think that's probably part of the appeal of the song. Um, but I totally agree with you that, oh. that it sort of goes downward from there. <laughs> yeah. And if you're uh, listening to this and uh, don't agree with us, <laughs> um, you can let us know yep. by sending an email to surewoodpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. That's surewoodpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. If you want to know why we have such a bizarre email address, uh, go back to our fair, very first episode yep. and we'll explain. Um, or find us on Facebook and send us a message there. Yeah, that's uh, facebook.com yep. slash uh, Nirvana Podcast. Yes. So um, feel free to join our discussion. Before we get to one last uh, <laughs> piece of criticism uh, on this song, uh, what do you like about it? Um... <laughs> I like the the way that the um, the bass and the guitar work together. I think that's that's an excellent combination here because they really complement each other. Um, so that's like the main things that that work for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I always like the part where the um, heavy guitars come in. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can uh, skip forward to that. Yeah. 
re- really like that part. But yeah. then again, the, the repeating the line when I swear I don't have a gun, yeah. I don't have, it's yeah, doesn't really work for me as a hook as well. No. So that's it. Well, it well. feels like a, um, I mean, it's 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 really <laughs> vintage Nirvana, I oh. guess, like having those repeated lines and stuff like that. But I I have the same feeling. For me, it doesn't doesn't work that well either. Yeah. Also, it's the third um, song in a row that mentions guns. Yep. That's just, I don't know, uh, <laughs> you, you can make of that uh, yep. <laughs> uh, what you will, but I um, just wanted to uh, to point that out. Um, uh, one last thing is that the song is that original. Yeah. Because there are several songs that kind of sound alike. So uh, let's uh, listen to the first one. It's a song called 80s by Killing Joke. <laughs> I think I kind of like what they did with it just a bit more because mm-hmm. it's more energetic. Yep. Uh, so here's another sound alike. It's uh, Life Goes On by The Damned. weird that they were you know kind of sometimes called on um um sounding like um uh, the pixies. pixies yeah uh kurt himself would always say that i yep. think maybe because he wanted to be the first one <laughs> to point that out exactly and um but i think back in the time they didn't really get a lot of criticism for this guitar no i think I, that the whole pixies thing is is there's something else there that is resembling the pixies but um, let's save that for two songs after this, <laughs> because then I can explain what the Pixies thing is. I think that the fact that they weren't called out too much on this is because these were punk bands that were slightly less known, especially in, in the USA. Um, however, um, that first song that, that you played, 80s by the Killing Joke, that was a problem for uh, the record company, actually, because that was um, one of the reasons, um, which was what I was alluding to yeah. before, uh, why they were slightly hesitant to put out this uh, song as a second single, because they were worried about copyrights, uh, mm-hmm. because it's too similar. But apparently, eventually, they just decided to release it. The Killing Joke didn't really like the fact that it was kind of a ripple. They eventually decided not to sue or whatever. So I think they they probably sort of respected the, the musicianship of of Nirvana, yeah. which is which makes sense because I mean you can clearly hear when you listen to the entire record that they're a bona fide band um, and that you can respect the fact that that they did write their own songs and were yeah. probably inspired, but not. And it, it's always a, a tough call on yeah. when is it 
plagiarism and stealing and when is it just exactly. being inspired or lending and, and it's i mean it's it's a couple of chords there's not that many chords in music anyway so yeah. i mean it's you can write something that resembles something else quite fast um only True. in this case it's it's like it's, the it's, intro. Not, just a, it's <laughs> not just the notes it's also the the effects and the way exactly that the yeah um, anyway, let, let's uh, move on uh, to, the, to the next track, yep. and it's called Breed. this one yep <laughs> it's one of my favorites um yeah I, I i don't think it would make my top 10 but then again i i i that's we should do a top 10 episode yeah but it's and i was just about to say i always have a problem with like if you'd ask me like what's your favorite nirvana song that could change per month i think mm. um uh, but this one is is definitely is is great, and I think you was already mentioning like the the order of songs. I think this one comes at like the perfect moment. Yeah, I mean, um, "Come as You Are" is a bit more mellow, and then this one kicks in yep. just from the yeah exactly start and really pumps up the energy again. I have something uh, selected about the guitar part that's, yep. uh, that's in there. Nice. So let's first listen to what the guitar does during the verses. Yep. <laughs> Which is uh, really simple, but very effective, yep. and it sounds very cool. And and quite when you hear it like this, it's it's quite sort of old-fashioned rock and rolly. That's yeah. nice. I I never realized that until I heard it like this. Yeah, and um, it was also um, it was already there in an earlier version. Again, I have uh, selected the version of uh, um, from the Smart Sessions. Yep. Um, but there, uh, sometimes they uh, didn't use it. They mm -hmm. left it out. And then it uh, sounds like this. pretty cool yeah. um, effect I think you know yeah. just you know leaving it out and then yeah. kick back in I, I like that as well uh, although I think that in the end um, the version on the CD is better for the entire um, body of work yeah I agree because that's a trick they use quite a lot you exactly know, take out the guitar just drum and bass yep. and vocals and then yep. uh, kick in with the guitar exactly. again. I yeah. mean, it's what they do on, on, on several songs. Yep. So I think maybe that's why they, in the end, they decided to uh, put it on um, every time yep. in, the, in the final version. But uh, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to point that out because it also uh, says something about how they were thinking about 
their songs yep. and arranging them and it's probably yep. something that you do when you have a bit more time to kick a song around yeah because this was one of the earliest they wrote for this album yeah had another title as well yeah emodium yeah yeah i think we talked about that before right yeah 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 we, <laughs> yeah. we actually played a, an early live yeah, version exactly yeah i think two episodes ago yeah but um yeah they had a lot of time to to kick this one around and experiment a bit and yep. then uh I really uh, love what they did with it um, um, in the end. I uh, I also I, I was just saying by hearing that guitar that that sounds like old-fashioned rock and roll. What I also really like about this song is that if you really listen closely to the bass, that you can hear this sort of surf rocky thing in there. Like, you know, like... Really? Yeah. <laughs> the the way did. that it that that just the bass is going, you could you could easily like if you listen to it and then in your head like imagine a sort of like Dick Dale surfing riff on top of it, that would totally fit. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I don't really know what you mean. But I'll, I'll, I'll try to imagine that next time. Um, yeah. Try try listen to it and and try to hear try like like. Think of that, like you know. I mean, if even if for the listeners as well, if you're not into into surf rock, like everybody knows that 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 song from Pulp Fiction, right? I mean, yeah. that's sort of the so so have that in your head, and then just listen closely to the the bass playing of this song, and then try to connect those in mm. your head, and you'll you'll hear. Well, uh, her did have an uncle who was in like a surf rock band oh, yeah, so that's maybe true. That's, no, I, I, I think that's a bit too far fetched. yeah and and also i think that like if there's influences like that in the bass i mean we've seen before that chris had had interest in in 60 songs as well um so i i i mean you can hear that more often in his work um so i think that if that was an inspiration then it would have made sense that it came from him yeah yeah, per yeah. perhaps um i just really like the the fuzzy bass sound that's yeah. in there i think they used several bass tracks on this one right i'm not quite sure but i do yeah. know that it's not an effect that they used no. they just cranked up the the um, the amplifier right yeah until it was like overloaded <laughs> and then you, exactly. that's how you get that that fuzzy fuzzy sound yeah, it's absolutely one of my uh, one of my favorites. Next one. Yep. Oh yeah, I, I think uh, maybe they changed the title of, uh, to Breed because uh, the previous title was Imodium, and maybe it would look weird if first <laughs> you have a song called Imodium and then you have a song called Lithium. Yeah. I don't know. It's my own personal theory. <laughs> but maybe. I like it. <laughs> Could be. I'm so ugly. That's okay. Cause so are you. Another one we've already talked about in a previous podcast. Yep. When we listened to the um, version of uh, the Vaseline's. Yep. But I think this was one of the songs that the record company thought 
could be a big hit. Yeah. Before they wrote Smells Like Teen Spirit yeah. and Come As You Are. Exactly. Then yeah. this was like the big yeah. song they thought, ooh, that's something we can sell to a, to a broader audience. Yeah. And well, it eventually became the third single after those two. So, yeah. Yeah. And it was one of the hardest songs to record, yeah. I've read. The, first of all, because uh, Dave Grohl kept speeding up on the drums. <laughs> yeah. And then he had to suffer the humiliation <laughs> that he was asked to play with a, with a click track. Yeah. Which is sort of like a metronome. Yeah, a metro- metronome you hear on your headphones. So you can't speed up or slow down. No. But I can, I can totally get why he wanted to speed up because this... I, I I I mean I love this song. Um and it's but it the, the tempo is weird and because it goes like the the whole sound goes up in, in the chorus, it would make sense that you would speed up because it feels like it should. Yeah. But the great thing about it is that it doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, I can I can totally see why he would want to speed it up a bit. Yeah, and then um Kurt had uh, troubles recording the uh, guitar parts. Um, allegedly, um, when he couldn't get it right, uh, at one point he was really frustrated, and that's when they burst into like a noisy jam, <laughs> which would eventually end up as the bonus track uh, "Endless Nameless" on the on the CD. Yeah, I think that was after an um, well, an, a, a failed take <laughs> on, uh, on on lithium. lithium. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting, I think. Maybe it was also hard for him to um, record this because um, they changed the guitar parts quite a bit, mm-hmm. moving from a more acoustic guitar yep. sounding uh, verse to an electric uh, guitar. Yep. Well, you can uh, really hear it on a, on a again uh, a, a version from the um, Smart Studios. Yep. I mean, this is an acoustic guitar. that's quite different than what they um, eventually did so maybe it was harder for him to play it on an electric I don't know yeah it works better the way it is on the album I think it's nice to hear with the acoustic guitar but it's sort of there's something off Hmm. I can't really put my finger on it but yeah well, it, it sounds a bit like um, <laughs> they're starting uh, uh, to play poly already. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's a similar yep. um, acoustic guitar sound, yep. maybe even the same acoustic guitar. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. But no? I don't think so. We'll get to that. We'll get poly. to that because uh, <laughs> we're going to discuss poly in a minute. I just want to mention that you, you were talking before about how people were having trouble understanding lyrics and stuff like that. Um, there's one line in this song that I've always misheard and I just decided that my version is better <laughs> because I can't unhear yeah. But um, uh, he sings that line, we just hear it, um, uh, we broke our mirrors. Yeah. Um, I always heard uh, the problem is because he sings mirrors. Mirrors, yeah. He doesn't sing mirrors. Um, and I had no idea, so that was sort of... but. To me, the story makes sense with that hmm. because then he goes on about the Sunday morning and that was sort of the problem. Hmm. <laughs> so I can't unhear that. Um, so I've fixed the lyrics, I think. Sorry, yeah. Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it taps into the thing that we just talked about uh, in the beginning. Get, um, because it 
got so big, the whole album and um, all of the singles were, were hit singles and everybody just wanted to know what he was singing. Exactly. And they could, you know, sometimes um, mishear it or misinterpret yep. it, uh, it um, from uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. I think one magazine or newspaper actually printed the wrong lyrics <laughs> wow. of the Smells Like Teen Spirit that would start with um, load up on drugs and kill your friends. Ah, hmm. Okay, Good. sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but they fixed that because when they released the lithium single, they uh, yep. stuck in a lyric sheet. For exactly. It because I think they were sick and tired yep. of having to uh, correct all those wrong. But I didn't buy lyrics. the single, so there you, you go. Should have. I should oh, have. <laughs> saved you a lot of uh, <laughs> exactly embarrassment when. Yep. <laughs> when years later you would record a podcast about it and find out that no I found out before that yeah. <laughs> not just today yeah. um, I something else about this song um, I just want to mention um, um, because we were talking about the Pixies before um, and this is a good example of why people kept um, comparing them to the Pixies um, because um, that whole um empty verse with not a lot of melody or not a lot of instruments in there and then going all out into the verse and then coming back to the the emptiness of uh or, sorry again into the chorus and then going back to the verse and making it emptying it out again uh they do that on a couple of songs but this is yeah. a really nice uh, that is uh well, I won't say the Pixies invented it, but <laughs> that is 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 definitely vintage Pixies, um, and they they were definitely inspired by the Pixies to do that, um, and that's something that's so specific. Hard <laughs> word. Um, that was one of the reasons why people would would compare them, um, and that that does make sense, especially back then. Yeah. Uh, also, they drew uh, inspiration from another band called The Beatles. Yep. <laughs> People may have heard from them. Yep. <laughs> um, because at one point, Paul McCartney, um, bassist, songwriter, well, multi-instrumentalist, but yep. um, started out as a bass player for the for, for the uh, uh, Beatles. Um, he uh, once mentioned in an interview that he really liked the bass line of Lithium. Yep. And then later, uh, Chris Nefoselic uh, commented on it that he... I thought it was a great compliment because he kind of drew inspiration from the Beatles and he yeah. wanted to make like a Beatlesque baseline. <laughs> yeah. So that was nice. really nice. Yeah. Especially yeah. because uh, years, years later, they would come come full circle by yeah. um, playing, playing uh, to, with them. Yeah. Together. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Maybe um, this is a really great moment to just play a little snippet of um, a cover version of this song that I really like. I mean, there's many cover versions of many Nirvana songs and we can't play them all. But since you mentioned the Beatles, I think this cover version the highlights... The cover. <laughs> yeah, <wow>. yeah, they're good. <laughs> so this, this version, uh, I think, highlights that 60s sound a bit. So it's a nice... Yeah. Uh, which one is it? <laughs> it's a, a cover version by the Polyphonic Spree, which is a really um, interesting band. I think they're like with 30 people or whatever. Um, go look them up on the internet and especially go see videos of them because they're quite um, special. And they do a lot of covers and this was one of their covers. 
really great, interesting. <laughs> I, I, I didn't uh, actually know this version until you know, you just uh, pointed it out to me right before we uh, yeah. started recording it. Although, um, well, you said it was in a... What, what movie was that? Uh, the Big Short. Um, they, they, they... I think I've saw that, saw that mu- uh, movie, so I yeah. must have heard... I, it was in there, and I mean, so. the, the song was already out in this version for a long time, but when it was in that movie, people noticed it. So, uh, yeah, you probably heard it in there. Yeah, it's a great, great version. Um, so let's go to uh, the last song of Side A. Yes. We haven't really explained ourselves, but uh, I think people will uh, understand that <laughs> we're just talking about Side A, which means the first half of the album. Yeah. And um, this is the closing song of, of Side A, and it uh, ends on a more... Um, intimate uh, acoustic note with Polly. Polly wants a cracker Think I should get off her first Think she wants some water To put out the blowtorch Let me <laughs> stop right there. <laughs> No, don't stop there. Yes, because I want to point something out <laughs> that this was an actual contribution of their uh, previous drummer, yeah, Mr. Chad Channing. Um, he, uh, like we said before, he kind of was kicked out of the band quite short before they uh, started recording uh, this album. So he was on all the um, earlier versions uh, of it, and yeah. he uh, wrote some of the drum parts. Um, but this is actually the only. Um, thing that he plays um, on this album because they used that earlier recording uh, and put it on uh, yeah. the uh, final yeah. version yeah. Of, of the album. Yeah, apparently they, they this was the only song that when they tried to re- re-record it, they sort of felt like they couldn't do it better than they did before. So Yeah, so let's have a listen to just the contribution <laughs> of Chet Channing. And that was it. <laughs> um, well, yeah. he did that multiple times during... He did that multiple times. <laughs> that, that's right. And we're going to listen to uh, all of them. <laughs> no, we're not going to listen to all of them. <laughs> no, just, just kidding. But um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's uh, uh, interesting that uh, later he said that he, he wasn't credited on the album. No. I think I saw an interview with him where he said that he did get money for it mm-hmm. because he's actually playing this, but yeah. it's just one cymbal crash. Yeah. I mean, I could have played it, probably not on the right uh, <laughs> moment, but still. Uh, and that he, all, that he said that it was weird to him that he wrote drum parts for the album, yeah. which he didn't get paid for. Yeah. And then by just hitting the cymbals, <laughs> he got yeah, he, he got paid for it. And yeah. then again, I mean, it's, yeah. it's good that he at least got something out of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely and, and, also, and also, I think that you distinguish between playing it and, and like writing it. Um, obviously, I don't know how much of this was his idea or the rest of the bands or the producers, but I do think that having just that single crash there is quite important actually to the song because the weird thing is that every time you hear that, you, it feels like things are going to happen. Like it feels like the whole band is going to come in on, on, on the song and then it doesn't. Hmm. And that contributes to a, a feeling that really helps this song, especially since, like we said before, that 
they do that trick actually in a lot of songs, like yeah. coming in with the entire band. And then here it's it's always like, oh, it's happening. Oh, it's not. It stays it acoustic, stays co- soft. Exactly. And, yeah. and and I think that that the, the choice to do it like that um, really adds to the atmosphere of this song. Yeah, and they kept, they kept it really, really simple. Um, so here's just... Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I think the crash that you just heard is the uh, original one mm-hmm. uh, that's actually on the album, but I think it sounds a bit different because it's been mixed and then there's right, some yeah. effects on it. But um, uh, again, I found found a multi-track, so you can just uh, um, hear it uh, in a as uh, 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 a complete song if you add them up uh, all together. Here's just um, uh, Chad and Kurt's vocals. Isn't me having seed? Let me clip dirty wings. Let me take a ride. Cut yourself. Want some map? Please myself. Got some rope. Haven't told. Promise you. Haven't true. Let me take a ride. Cut yourself. Want some map? Please myself. Right, so that's about the the, the music of the song. Um, lyrically, uh, this is, I think, the most it's the most clear what the song is about of, of all the tracks on uh, on Nevermind because it's based on an um, actual event yep. that Kurt apparently read about in the newspaper where a girl, after attending a, a rock concert, got got um, uh, uh, got molested yep. by a guy and uh, and managed to escape because she kind of started flirting with a perpetrator if i say it correctly yeah i i, I think not not, not flirting, not flirting but trying, to... trying to 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 get him to ease his feelings instead of of uh going against him basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah that, that, that's better yeah but yeah um and it was pretty weird a couple of months ago like two months ago i was in a, in, a, in, in a car and this song came on the radio which doesn't happen that much, no. but it was in the on the top two thousand, mm-hmm. which is here in the Netherlands is like an annual thing where people can vote, uh, and then at the end of the year, the most uh, popular two thousand tracks will get played between Christmas and the New Year's Eve, yeah. and uh, well, apparently uh, enough people voted for Polly that uh, it made it to the list, but it was back to back with the song Diane ah. from. Um, Therapy, yep. which I think is a cover song. Yeah. I don't know the original artist nope. uh, by heart, but um, which is about basically the same subject. Yep. And if you read about Polly, uh, a lot of times they say, well, the remarkable thing about it is that um, Kurt actually takes the perspective of the perpetrator. Yep. And that's also what's happening in Diane. Yeah, that's so it, true. It, it made that's a really weird, weird combination. Yeah, that, that is really weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Puts, puts it in a different perspective uh, yeah. to, to hear it like that and 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 like you mentioned it is it's interesting that he uses the perspective of the perpetrator but it's um, it's not a it's not a dirty song it's it's quite clear that it's more empowering to females than it is about a guy who <laughs> is doing horrible things to women. Yeah. Uh, so he sort of, 
even though he takes that 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 man's perspective, he still manages to to not really make it about him, uh, which I I find quite a feat to do because that's not easy. Yeah. Um, and I find it also interesting that this is to me also the fact that it's acoustic. It sort of places it in the traditional of murder ballads. Um, which is something that um, uh, they did later on with In the Pines or where did you sleep last night, as, as they called it. Um, uh, Kurt was quite into folk tradition as well. You, you don't hear it that much, but he, he knew a lot about it and was interested Well, we talked about Lead Belly and stuff like that. Um, so this feels like one of those songs, like taking, taking a real-life... Um, Events event and then and then making a song out yeah. of it uh, and then doing it acoustically as well. It sort of fits yeah. into that tradition. And it was also um, sort of a John Lennon thing to yep. do. I mean, Definitely. John Lennon wrote lyrics based on a poster and yep. uh, took things from a newspaper as yep. well. Um, yep. You can hear it in um, A Day in the Life, for instance, yep. where we just, you know, literally, literally <laughs> takes <laughs> things out of the newspaper. Yeah. Out of the, yep. the, the newspaper, yeah. But he doesn't make it too obvious, I think. No, no, because if you don't, uh, I mean, you said like this is like one of the most clear lyrics, um, but that's because we know what it's about. Yeah. And I think if you have and no because idea. Because the other lyrics are that weird exactly. and abstract <laughs> and confusing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but if you if you don't know the context, it's not that clear. Uh, no, it starts know. off with Polly wants a cracker. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and the whole song is uh, called Polly. I think uh, an early title was Hitchhiker. Yep. Which makes it maybe a bit more. Yep. Obvious or yep. fitting with the with the with the story behind it. Yep, exactly. And and also the like you said the the Polly wants a cracker, which is a great first line. Again, I mean Kurt was really good in in writing those first lines, but that's obviously a a, a play on on the fact that that's something that you'd say to. A pet, um, hmm. so that also throws you like off the rails of yeah. what it's about. Yeah. Even though when you know what it's about, it makes sense that it starts out like with the guy seeing the girl as his pet. Um, yeah. So it makes total sense. But if you don't know that, then it's again confusing. Yeah, I think I've once read the story that when they were shopping around for a record label, mm -hmm. uh, one of the labels that they definitely didn't pick. Uh, was um, I don't know what label it was, but the guy they had a meeting with said, so in the song of Polly, you're actually uh, hurting the bitch, something like that. So he didn't really get <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> at all or no. the whole ethics of the band. or uh, no. that. I think there was an immediate no, yep. no thanks for dinner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, and of course, there's also that story about that later on, Apparently, two guys raped a girl while playing this song. Right. Um, and when too. Kurt heard that, he immediately like said that that was. I think he said it was a like they were a waste of sperm or something like that. But at, as soon as he heard that, he was quite clear that that. Yeah, was can you imagine wrong. how awful that would be if you write a song like this and exactly. you try to portray how horrible it is that stuff like this happens. Yep, and then. It more or less looks like it inspires other people yeah. to do more horrible things. That's, uh, yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that must be tough. Anyway, I think it's a great um, 
closing track for uh, for side A. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We will come back to Polly uh, later <laughs> on because we're also going to discuss uh, Incesticide, yep. which features a total different version of Polly yeah. and the uh, Unplugged in New York album, yep. which uh, features a <laughs> quite similar version of Polly. Yeah. So uh, we're not done with Polly uh, no. just yet. Well, maybe there's there's one thing that's that's good to mention about Polly, especially because we're coming back to it, and that's. Um, that apparently they recorded this with like a really old acoustic guitar. Yeah. Um, which you can hear because it's, it's like, it has this, this weird feel to it. And also like it sounds, there's, there's less sound than you would expect. I think it only um, has five strings. Yeah. I, I don't know what and was. It's just a yeah. battered old, exactly. slightly out of tune yeah. guitar. And that, and, and that really works for this recording. Um, and obviously in, in different recordings, they use different guitars and you can hear the difference, I think. so. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So um, anything else we need to say about side A of Nevermind? Except for the fact that uh, next time uh, we'll uh, flip the vinyl and discuss <laughs> all the tracks on side B. Yep. Um, no, I don't think so. I think we talked a lot about it. Um, like we said, it's it's. I think that the whole um, 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 the way the songs are uh, placed on this side A is is perfect. Um, and and then finishing off with Polly is is a great way to. And the A side, yeah. and then wait, what happens when you flip over? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. And and also, I think there's hardly any um, album in in rock history that has such a strong side A. No, that's, I mean, yeah, it's, there's not one weak track. No, to be found anywhere. Well, it's got the four four singles on it. Um, yeah, it's really really good. But um, and yeah, <laughs> it kept us talking for about. An hour and a half, <laughs> just about these six songs. Wow. And I still have the feeling that we haven't said everything. Nope. And we don't have to say everything. Thankfully. But there's so much to discuss and uh, yeah, so much interesting stuff uh, yep. on it that we haven't even touched on. For instance, the different mixes of the album uh, and, uh, and things like that. And uh, maybe that'll come up uh, next time when we discuss uh, Side B. Yes. I'll hope, uh, I hope you'll join me again. Definitely. And I hope you as a listener will return to, uh, to check us out again. Uh, meanwhile, you can help us out by giving us a nice uh, review if you're uh, listening to this podcast on a platform that allows you to give reviews. Um, and you can also help us out by sharing this with other friends or on your social media, whatever. Um, or by letting us know uh, how you feel about the podcast and maybe convince us that uh, Come As You Are really is the best track <laughs> that Nirvana ever laid down. Uh, for now, uh, thank you so a lot for uh, listening and until next time. Bye. Bye.